0: Hello and welcome to Today in Space. I am your space science podcast host from the East Coast, Alex G. Orfanos, and it's good to have you here with us. Episode 285. We've got a lot to talk about. If you're watching here on YouTube, thank you. Please hit subscribe. And please excuse my mad scientist hair. Uh, in fact, it's it's completely appropriate for this episode because we are going to lightning round through some amazing space news that's happening right now. Get you up to date on the latest. We're going to get you updated on the DART mission. We have the results. Not only did we try and impact an asteroid and potentially prove to ourselves that we can defend ourselves in an Armageddon type scenario, but how well did we actually do? We've got a little bit more on the Tesla bot. Uh, a, a quick recap after last week's Uh, or a few weeks ago, reveal and our short reaction video to that. Very controversial. We'll get into that and uh, and my thoughts on that. Hubble is potentially going to have a boost in its life. The 32-year-old space satellite, which is the same age as I am, is potentially getting a boost thanks to SpaceX and Jared Isaacman during the Polaris Dawn missions. We'll talk about that. And how important that Polaris Dawn mission one is going to be from a perspective of like space history and humans going into space. But regardless, moving on, Blue Origin has its BE-4 engines finally shipped to the ULA. We'll talk about those engines, American-made engines that will go on an American rocket, the Vulcan rocket. And, of course, we're going to close out with some more on JWST. James Webb Space Telescope keeps releasing great content and new images. We're going to talk about some uh, one image that really just blew our mind. It just came out the other day. And this thought on how great it is to have multiple telescopes out there. that have the ability to look at different types of wavelengths of light and how awesome that is. And then I'll close the episode with a question, one of the the main questions of uh, any kind of space topic, which is, are we alone? So we'll talk about that. We'll close that out. Thank you for joining us. This is Today in Space. Let's do a quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll dive right in and talk about the DART mission results this podcast is brought to you by manscaped manscaped is here for your male grooming needs whether it's a trimmer whether it's body lotion whether it's any kind of shaving grooming manscaping needs manscaped is here to help you get the job done with the right tools and you our listeners get 20 percent off by using the code word space that's s-p-a-c-e you know the word And use it for anything in your cart at manscaped.com. You can go all the way and get the Platinum Package 4.0. You're going to get the Lawnmower 4.0. You're going to get the Weed Whacker. And you're going to get a whole slew of things for luxury full-body grooming. You can even go the Performance Package 4.0. Get everything you need. For luxury grooming the perfect packages there there's so much here and all I have to say is it's great tools if you're a maker if you're an engineer if if you've ever tried to build something and use the wrong tool or even cut something with say a knife you're trying to cut some food that's not sharp it sucks Manscaped has the right tools to get the job done they make things simple and we're really happy to have them here as a partner of the podcast so go to Manscaped, get 20% off on all your manscaping needs. Use the code word space and get free worldwide shipping. That's 20% off anything in the store using the code word space at manscaped.com. Free worldwide shipping. Thank you, Manscaped, for sponsoring the podcast. This podcast is brought to you, as always, by AG3D Printing, your shop for any of your 3D printing needs, whether you have an idea that you're trying to bring to life uh, through 3D printing. If you're new to 3D printing and you want to learn more, we have our YouTube channel, we have our Instagram, and we have our website at ag3d-printing.com where you can see all the stuff we've, do, we've done, a bunch of various projects where you can see how we've used 3D printing to improve our lives, to bring life to an old product that isn't being made anymore, the manufacturer doesn't send you any spare parts, we can help you with that kind of stuff. Or if you've got a project, if you're in school, if, if you want to go over the top, if you want to make an idea come to reality, if you're trying to start a small business, you've had this idea, you're like, man, I wish I wish it wasn't so hard to get started. We can help you get started with a prototype uh, very, very quickly. And we can help you see what you didn't know about that product through multiple budget-friendly prototypes. That's what we do here with AG3D Printing. We also have our design services. But what we're most proud of is helping people bring their own ideas into reality. So you can get a free quote from us by going to ag3d-printing.com. You can help support us by buying uh, your next gift for your next friend or for yourself at our Etsy store at ag3dprinting.etsy.com. The holidays are coming up, so it's a great time for some cool gifts. And we're always sharing more on what we're doing here in the lab. We are very close to finishing our James Webb Space Telescope spacecraft model. We're going to have that available for the holidays as well on our Etsy store. But EG3D printing for your 3D printing needs and to learn more about what 3D printing is and how you might be able to use it in your life to make things better. All right, folks, now we're back to the show Let's talk about the DART mission and results. So we, if you guys are, are new to the DART mission uh, and you haven't been following along, we have covered, we've got clips where we went over this. Uh, so you, we'll, we'll add them here so that you can uh, check them out. But uh, the short of it is, is that DART, it was a mission created by NASA, the first planetary defense mission, and we saw the impact, we saw the amazing photos that came from that, we saw... Hubble take pictures, we saw James Webb Space Telescope take pictures, and even the leech Cube that was on board that got uh, jettisoned out the back two weeks before DART impacted the asteroid Dimorphos, we actually now get to see another week later what those results were. So I'm going off of a thread here by Jeff Faust, he is at Jeff underscore Faust on Twitter, Please follow Jeff. He does great coverage, and he does these threads anytime journalists are asked, invited out to go cover this. He does great work, so please follow him. But we'll go through this real quick because it makes things a lot easier, and please go check him out if you're on Space Twitter. So it says here, NASA Administrator Bill Nelson says, DART successfully changed the orbit of Dimorphos, decreasing its orbital period around Didymos from 11 hours and 15 minutes to 11 hours and 23 minutes a 32-minute change. And that's a big deal because what that is a sizable change for something. When you think about the two masses of the actual thing, like the spacecraft and the, the asteroid itself, it's kind of wild that we were able to do this much of a change. And uh, the next post, he says here, is that the orbital change is within plus or minus two minutes. And that was uh, Lori Glaze, the Planetary Science Division Director, The minimum requirement was 73-second change. So when they impacted this, they were only really looking for, at a bare minimum, a 73-second change. And the models were estimated a change that could have been from a few minutes to several tens of minutes. So this 32-minute change is on the upper end of those models. And the new Hubble image of the asteroid, we're starting to see the tail of all that debris, and it's kind of beautiful. And if we go further down this thread here... Nancy Chabot, uh, DART Coordination Lead at APL, that's the Applied Physics Laboratory in Maryland, says the revised orbit from observations from four optical telescopes analyzed separately by two groups along with radar observations all yield the revised 11-hour and 23-minute orbit. Uh, Tom Statler, the DART Program Scientist at NASA HQ, said it looks like recoil from the ejecta was substantial was a substantial contributor to the push Dart made to dimorphos. Uh, interesting. So the fact that there was so much ejecta that came out, it's a contributor because you're you're losing mass, I guess, in that state, right? So if you're if you're hitting it and then also reducing the mass of the asteroid in, in the impact, uh, that's gonna help you get more of a change to the orbital period, if I'm reading that correctly. And then it's a uh, he says, Glaze mentions the importance of completing the inventory of near-Earth objects with Near-Earth Object Surveyor, a mission NASA sought to delay by two years in its recent fiscal year 23 budget proposal. And Statler said they're working hard to get a value for beta efficiency, or, or beta, the value beta, which is the efficiency of the impact. Uh, but no, it's greater than one because of the ejecta. So... Here, they're saying this is such an efficient impact and that ejecta helps raise that number to well above one. But it's it's really interesting. Now we're starting to understand how we can control the reality around us in the solar system. Granted, it's an extremely small step. It's a tiny step in the global scheme of can we protect Earth from a Armageddon-style dinosaur-killer asteroid. And the point that got brought up earlier here is that you know? in order for us to really be able to prepare for this, to use this technique, which is not a last-minute technique, this DART technique is something that can be done way ahead of time if we understand the orbits of the things around us. We can send something early enough with the technology we have today to impact it, and clearly we seem to have a pretty good efficiency of that impact. So if we're smart about this, we can do this. But the thing that's missing is this... Near-Earth Object Surveyor. So you guys have probably seen that video where you have all of the objects that are floating around Earth and it zooms out to see all the space junk that's out there. That's just around Earth, right? These dinosaur killers, these other Armageddon-style, deep impact style, these are going to require a lot of understanding around us. And to get that understanding of what's around us, we need to get more things out there, more things observing, and have a better catalog of what is out there and what could be a potential impactor. So, really fascinating stuff. Again, if you're new to the DART mission, we have plenty of episodes and clips where we talk about the mission and explain that a little bit more. But that's what's new with the DART mission. Next up, we have to talk Bot. So, we put out our last episode, episode 284, I asked you guys on Instagram whether you wanted us to talk about TeslaBot, and I share my first reactions. We did that. We got a lot of good feedback. We also got a lot of controversial feedback, and it was mostly around – well, first of all, before we get into the controversial stuff, thank you for everyone that did actually uh, give me feedback, good, negative, constructive I do really appreciate that. This is not something that I'm a, an expert in. I'm an enthusiast in things like this, in technology in general. There are certain things I'm good at, 3D printing, additive technology, I would say manufacturing in general. I'm I'm pretty good with that stuff when it comes to, obviously, aerospace engineering. I have a degree in it, so take that for what it is. And with robotics and artificial intelligence, I think it's really interesting, and I think it's something I want to keep an eye on. Um, and talk to experts. And so before I even get into what was so controversial or, or, or why things might have been so controversial, I want to ask you if you have any robotics engineers in your life that you know that might want to come on to talk about Tesla Bot and artificial intelligence and to the big picture to kind of break down what is it that companies like Boston Dynamics and Honda and Tesla, what are these companies doing? How are they different? How are they achieving the same thing differently? And and what are they doing the same? And I think it's fascinating. I I and, and I do want to say that companies like Honda and Boston Dynamics, part of the feedback I got, is that, yeah, they are much further down the road of the development of Tesla bot than Tesla is. Oh, sorry, the development. See, I already said Tesla bot is the replacement for <laughs> a robot. So... They have been doing work for a long time, and their robots are very athletic. And part of the point I was making was that this Tesla bot reveal, I've seen Honda, I've seen Boston Dynamics, I've seen robots over the years that are doing things uh, and acting human-like, but this is the first time with the Tesla bot reveal that, to me, it felt more human than any of those other robots. You know, the the Boston Dynamics robot, uh, Atlas, an amazing robot, extremely athletic. We're, we're, you know, we've seen those videos of how much they've done and how athletic they are, but they don't seem human to me. They seem like robots. And I know there's a concept that a lot of people don't want to anthropomorphize, make robotic things human to try and understand them that way because they're inherently not human. But there was something about this that captured my attention in a way that robotics hasn't necessarily done. And I think that's done it for a lot of people. I think that's what the the positive feedback over the re- the review has been, or the reaction, is that I think there's a lot of people that are feeling that way. That, you know, this is a very exciting reveal. I think, ultimately, it's extremely good for robotics. If there's a company that's going to drive mass production and the adoption of these robots in more businesses and homes and wherever else they end up, I mean, $20,000 a robot, that may seem like a lot of money, but people spend easily double that for cars nowadays, for leases. Imagine if you could lease one of these things. Uh, If it's at that point where it's programmable or it has programs to do useful things around you, that could be extremely, extremely valuable. And I feel like as a brand, as a company, Tesla's already done that with a car. I think they have, and they've shown, they have the marketing and technical know-how to kind of push this towards adoption, which is what I think the scale of Honda and Boston Dynamics, uh, they've they've developed much more, but I'm not sure about the adoption. There's a lot of military applications, and I'm sure that's, if I had to guess, what has slowed down some of the adoption of Boston Dynamics stuff, I'm sure there's plenty of things being researched in that area. Again, I don't work in the robotics industry, but if I had to guess... That could be one of the factors, um you know Elon Musk is a controversial character that's That's kind of the long and short of this whole interesting controversial topic <laughs> uh, and i listen, I do understand uh, if if there's things that Elon Musk is doing that you do not approve of and that leaks into this stuff, or if you're just really not a believer that just any you know that Elon Musk could just walk into an industry and do it, but I've learned not to. Count Elon Musk out, especially when he's hands on with the technology and the design process. He's a legitimate physicist. So, there is, he's a physicist and he also understands marketing and products and selling. So, as a businessman and a technical person, that is a very rare combination. And you can see from all the stuff that he's doing, that is revolutionizing a lot, revolutionizing a lot of things. That does not mean that he's going to be the most liked person on the planet. And that is what it is. I I have made uh, qualms with that, Uh, but uh, it's affecting some new people. It's interesting, too, because there's a lot of people that I haven't really heard discount or, like, uh, critique Elon who are in the robotics field who are now critiquing him. So I I do understand kind of the conflict of, what, he's just going to come in here and, and do that. Like, that's outrageous. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, it could very well be the Elon scale, and he gives a timeline that was possible if he cloned himself, and everyone was doing the work, but obviously that's not that's not reality. At least until the Tesla bot <laughs> becomes sentient, and they're able to uh, uh, upload Elon Musk via Neuralink, and, and then he'll be able to keep those timelines. But until then, until then, Elon, uh, we will see what happens, but the one thing that he's done over and over is deliver. So, I'm looking forward to what happens, and that is what I found really controversial about the Tesla bot, but I really appreciate everyone's feedback. Thank you very much. On to the next subject. All right, folks. So, this is really exciting. We talked about Hubble, 32-year-old satellite, again, same age as I am, and it's about to get a boost in its life for uh, to about 15 to 20 years, which is... Uh, amazing, and we're going to talk about this first from this ARS Technica article from Eric Berger. Eric Berger does great work, so if you are not following Eric Berger, whether you follow him through ARS technical articles and his writing or on Twitter, he's he's a great follow for those who are looking to follow more space people online. So he says here, NASA announced Thursday that it plans to study the possibility of using SpaceX's Crew Dragon vehicle. To boost the aging space telescope Hubble into a higher orbit. The federal agency has signed a Space Act agreement with SpaceX to conduct a six month study to determine the practicability of Dragon docking with a 32 year old telescope and boosting it into a higher orbit. The study is not exclusive, meaning that other companies can propose similar concepts with alternative rockets and spacecraft. And the agreement comes after SpaceX and the Polaris program, a series of private missions self-funded by billionaire Jared Isaacman, approached NASA about potential servicing missions, including the Hubble Space Telescope. Isaacman is the first private citizen to command an orbital spaceflight when he led the crew of four on uh, SpaceX's Dragon in 2021 on the Inspiration4 mission. An amazing mission. We have plenty of coverage of that. Including uh, even the live launch. It, amazing stuff, even I, be, I believe the landing as well, uh, that was with my brother, the launch with uh, the lovely Sarah. And uh, the Inspiration 4 was amazing. First private, all private mission uh, to space and uh, in Earth orbit is a truly, truly amazing mission. Went even higher in orbit than the International Space Station is today. But with Polaris, they're seeking to push the boundaries of private space exploration outward. The first Polaris mission is scheduled for March 2023 on Dragon and will fly to an altitude of 1,400 kilometers while also conducting the first private spacewalks. So other than that, all being amazing information and an amazing mission that they're about to do, there's some really interesting stats as to like why some of those values were were picked. So the Pilaraton mission, which we said will plan to reach 1,400 kilometers for a spacewalk, this 1,400 kilometers is really important because the this would make it the highest altitude for a crewed non-lunar Earth mission in history. So Gemini 11, with crew Charles Conrad Jr. and Richard F. Gordon Jr., They fired their Agena target vehicle rocket engine on September 14, 1966 at 40 hours and 30 minutes after liftoff. They achieved a record apogee altitude of 739.2 nautical miles or 1,369 kilometers. So the 1,400 kilometer spacewalk would push the boundary of the actual record that exists today. And for reference, the Inspiration 4 flight, which was pushing the bounds at the time of of what had been done recently, that reached an altitude of 585 kilometers. So Jared, having been on a, a mission at 585, would now be almost tripling that with this Polaris Dawn mission one. And the highest achieved... So that 585 kilometers was the highest one that had been achieved since 1999 when STS-103 reached that orbit. And the Inspiration 4 mission was the fifth overall human spaceflight record. And then, again, the International Space Station sits at 408 kilometers at its orbit, about 254 miles. Now, why would you boost the orbit of Hubble? Well, if we go here... The principal goal is to boost Hubble's altitude from its current level of 535 kilometers to 600 kilometers, the same altitude it was at when it was first launched in 1990. The fifth and final servicing mission was in 2009 when we had the space shuttle. Uh, Hubble has been slowly losing altitude, and we've lost the ability to actually go back up and do that since the space shuttle was retired. So we're talking over 10 years before we've been able to do anything. And we're at the point where the degradation for Hubble will get worse and worse and accelerate as the telescope gets lower and lower. So they're actually trying to do this mission. And potentially, I remember hearing they talk very little about the cost. And well, let's read this article here from Eric. It said, none of the officials on Thursday's teleconference, this article was written on September 29th, 2022. None of the officials on Thursday's teleconference spoke specifically about costs. No funds will change hands for the study, but there is a viable path forward for a Crew Dragon mission to dock with Hubble and boost the instrument. That will have to be worked out, who's going to pay what, and all that stuff. But it looks like Jared is... I mean, he's already working with SpaceX to help fund these Polaris Dawn missions. This is... this boosting Hubble fifteen to twenty years, you know, this is something that was really thought about and shared by a lot of the space nerds that are out there who have who have the science and the physics to think about this and and a lot of people have been talking about some kind of a servicing mission for Hubble for a while. And it's been interesting seeing those ideas come back up as this Polaris Dawn mission is being planned. So it's a really cool combination of private, meeting public, so NASA being the public side of things, Jared Isaacman, and SpaceX. So SpaceX being a private space company who is you know, revolutionizing what we're able to do in the space industry because there is a rocket and a, crewed, a crew-rated vehicle that can actually replace our ability to send humans into orbit. And it's really cool to see an individual like Jared Isaacman, affecting so much of the progress. And I'll leave this here, but Eric goes into a little bit here about the long arc of history and how much private entrepreneurs, people with money, private industry, and funding has really pushed the bounds of space in in exploration terms for a very, very long time. So there is a long history of this, and, and we're seeing this happen and unfold in front of us. It's a really exciting time, and I want you to get caught up on it now so that when this comes back up at the beginning of next year, you'll be ready to go to enjoy it as much as you can the moment when it's happening live for us. So again, in March of 2023, they're going to be attempting that first Polaris Dawn mission. We've got this picture here, so the crew of Polaris Dawn, Scott Poteet, Jared Isaacman, Sarah Gillis, and Anna Manon. And those four will be launching very, very soon on a Dragon to do a spacewalk at the most distant altitude for a crude non-lunar Earth mission. And it's, it's going to be amazing. So I'm really looking forward to that. So check it out. A real quick thing. We'll talk about this because it's exciting. It's a good moment in the balance of Blue Origin and SpaceX and the United Launch Alliance and, and really the... the American rocket industry, the Blue Origin BE-4 engines are finally making it to the ULA, United Launch Alliance, and they're going to get ready to be installed onto the Vulcan rocket. And here we have a tweet from, uh, <laughs> from Tori Bruno, uh, who is the CEO of the United Launch Alliance. Torrey Bruno is a, is a really fun character. Uh, he's very responsive on Twitter, I've been lucky enough to have him like our tweets. He even has gotten involved in the Space Pants Squad on Twitter. So he's a lot of fun to follow and very, very engaging. And he said here, I had to step in for Standard Brian today. Uh, standard Brian being, being the person that they usually have next to stuff to use as a standard of size. He said he was busy, uh, Standard Brian was busy building rockets elsewhere in the plant. And I can neither confirm nor deny rumors that I was seen hugging this Blue Origin BE-4 flight engine in Decatur moments before. And it's really cool to see that engine, a massive engine. It really is. It's so complex, like most rocket engines. But this has been a long time coming. You know, the the BE-4 engines were rumored to have been delivered a long time ago. There have been some little back and forth. It's definitely delayed the United Launches plans of of using the Vulcan rocket to be able to provide a different way to toss stuff into orbit and into space. And of course, it was very very cool to see the Vulcan rocket get its name on Twitter online from voting. So it's it's really exciting moment for American space industry. It's an American made engines to replace the Russian made engines that uh, the United Launch Alliance has been relying on because they were cheap and they were, you know, they worked. Uh, they've been tested long enough. So there was a reason why those engines were being used after a while. And when SpaceX started getting a little bit more involved, a question came up that why are we using Russian rockets? This is before everything that's happened in Ukraine. But even before that, there were questions on why don't we have a an American engine. Blue Origin stepped up and this engine is finally making it. For integration, so very very exciting. I'm um, looking forward to see what happens there. That's all we have for the ULA, and of course, amazing Tori Bruno, standing in as a standard standard Tori for the for the BE four engine. Thank you, Tori, as always. All right, so James Webb Space Telescope. You know the the, the amount of content that's coming off from James Webb Space Telescope is really amazing. Uh, the team has an incredibly difficult job of of picking up the giant catalog of things that have been wanting to be observed. You know, there was a public offering for people, anyone, to submit time, and I believe you can still do so, uh, for the James Webb Space Telescope. And there's there's really only so much time that can be used. And one of the more recent observations that seriously, seriously blew my mind is of this latest one. So this actually came out today. We're recording this October 12th. And this picture, it shows shells of cosmic dust created by the interaction of binary stars. And it's truly, truly amazing. So this is the latest image from NASA's James Webb Space Telescope. Uh, It says here in this article by Thaddeus Casari on NASA, uh, .nasa blogs.nasa.gov, the latest image from NASA's James Webb Space Telescope is a new perspective of the binary star Wolf Riot 140, revealing details and structure in a new light. Astronomer Ryan Lau of NSF's Neuer Lab, principal investigator of the Webb early release science program that observed the star, shares his thoughts on the observations. He says here on the night that my team's early release science observations of the dust forming massive binary star Wolf Riot 140 were taken. I was puzzled by what I saw in the preview images from the mid-infrared instrument. There seemed to be a strange looking diffraction pattern, and I was worried that it was a visual effect created by the star's extreme brightness. However, as soon as I downloaded the final data, I realized I was not looking at a diffraction pattern, but instead rings of dust, WR40, at least 17 of them. So, it's amazing what infrared, just another spectrum of light can show us through another telescope, right? Hubble Telescope has made it on so many of our backgrounds and and, and screensavers, and if you're that old, uh, like, those images are so iconic for us. And again, it's been in, in active service since the 90s, and James Webb Space Telescope is slowly taking over some of those images. I mean, I know I know the background... On ours is literally that early James Webb Space Telescope of Carina Nebula. We'll continue here. He says, I was amazed. Although they resemble rings in the image, the true 3D geometry of those semicircular features is better described as a shell. Those shells of dust are formed each time the the stars reach a point in their orbit where they are closest to each other and their stellar winds interact. And then the even spacing... Between the shells indicates that dust formation events are occurring like clockwork once in each 8-year orbit. In this case, the 17 shells can be counted like tree rings, showing more than 130 years of dust formation. Our confidence in this interpretation of the image was strengthened by comparing our findings to the geometric dust models by Yin Yu Han, a doctoral student at the University of Cambridge, which showed a near-perfect match to our observations. And so I'll leave this up here. If you guys want to learn more, you can get more into the in-depth stuff. Again, Ryan Lau did an amazing job with this article. It's concise. It's it's basically a page, not too much information, but gives you all of the goodness of what's going on in this image. And James Webb just continues to keep blowing our minds with what it's able to show us. But even more than that, and this was a, a great question that Uh, came up on our James Webb Space Telescope episode where we were asking questions from you and George, uh, who sent us questions in, asked a good question about, like, would Hubble, uh, like, is is James Webb Space Telescope going to take over for the Hubble Space Telescope, basically make it retired? And what we're starting to see even more of, and I have a great example here of this, is that actually they're all working together, which is... Really, really spectacular. So, because they're all accessing different wavelengths of light, Hubble doing, you know, actual visible light and some other wavelengths like some slight infrared. But James Webb Space Telescope has an amazing infrared spectrum and many instruments on board. And, you know, if you remember those first four images and what those looked like and how much clarity and detail and and stuff is there, right? Like that last image we just showed, the ability to see the actual dust uh, that doesn't come through in the images that we have from, say, Hubble. When you combine it, you get such a better picture of what's really out there. And in this image here, those first four images, Stefan's Quintet, the Cartwheel Galaxy, S-MAX 0723, and the Carina Nebula, the Chandra Space Telescope, added even more to that observation now chandra specialty is x-ray and so what it's done is it's overlaid the x-ray information over the information from the web images and so we're getting such a clear idea of what is there what is what are we seeing emitted from there you know the, the thing that i've i've been thinking about after seeing the web images and now seeing these images where we're able to take multiple telescopes i mean shoot we We just took Hubble and James Webb Space Telescope and pointed them at the DART impact, right? We literally, we turned those telescopes to look at an event we were doing live. Imagine how much we could do with these multiple telescopes looking in multiple wavelengths at the same object. It's truly remarkable. And, you know, if we we start looking towards the future of what's out there, to me... James Webb Space Telescope has really unlocked uh, a, a, an old idea that I had in my mind. And, and I'm interested to hear if any of you had this same thought or experienced this especially in the more like intellectual groups. Like if you went to school for science or engineering or, or anyone who's really into this stuff. To me, I kept hearing that it the space is just this infinite void and there's there's so much nothingness out there. And there was like an obsession over the nothingness. And so much to the point where the idea of uh, alien life, because of the nothingness, because of that idea that we were we were all obsessed with, you know, our ability not to go to the moon anymore, you know, we, we weren't going past low Earth orbit or space. It's almost like our our lack of progress in space and kind of the atrophy of our space program has had kind of changed our perspective as to our idea of the universe. And what James Webb Space Telescope is doing is really unveiling, 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 I'm not going to create a word here. Uh, (laughs) James Webb Space Telescope is unveiling just how much is actually out there. Now granted, there are voids. It's not wrong that to say that there are voids out there, but to say that that's it—that it's a binary, it's either full of things or not full of things—is not the whole picture. And to me, it's changed even my perspective of the question of are we alone. And and I'll expand on that. And I want to know what you think. I I, I want to know number one: Do you think that we're alone? I'd love to know your nuance on that, and and how you feel about that and alien life, whether we'll find it. Whether it exists, whether they already are here, whatever you think, I'm interested in your opinion. And James Webb Space Telescope has also like opened up to me this idea oh, I'm sorry, and I want to know if James Webb Space Telescope and these new images and, and all this new stuff that we're seeing for the first time in infrared, is that changing your mind towards, are we alone? Has it gotten better? Have you not changed? Uh, I'm interested where you're where you are with that question of Are we alone? Has JWST changed that? So to me, uh, to, to go first, uh, James Webb Space Telescope has changed my perspective. That even in the areas where we thought there were things, right, mass and stuff, James Webb Space Telescope is, in my mind, just revealing the universe, literally, and showing us that there's so much more there that we have no we have no idea until we know it's there. And so exploration and going out and looking for it is so critical in our understanding of how alone we are, how much other life could be out there. I mean we just found out with you know the other the other day we were talking about the Hayabusa 2 mission. They brought back the stuff from that asteroid, when they analyzed it, there was water. You know, we're finding water in all these places where before this idea of the emptiness and how dark and cold everything is, that assumption was that there was no water. And now when we're actually getting observations, we're finding something new. We don't know until we go. And for my answer to the question of are we alone, my whole thing was always I don't, I think we there has been other life, but I have no idea when that may, may have been. It could have been way before us in a galaxy long, a long, long time ago. It also could be in the future. Maybe we're the early version of it. And, you know, there could be another evolution of a galaxy and a solar system and a planet around a sun that can host habitable life as we know it. And maybe it'll happen then. So I've never been on the side of, uh, are we alone? There's no one out there. And now, with this stuff, I'm moving even further towards we need to observe as much as possible and to get places as quickly as possible and to do that observation. They have the DART mission, a great mission, right? You didn't have to send humans. You didn't have to send um, Ben Affleck, or oh, I guess he didn't go on the asteroid. He 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 grabbed the short straw. But, <laughs> but we don't have to send... Uh, Someone to blow up the asteroid, or hit the asteroid, or manipulate it enough to do do our bidding with it to not impact us. Right, we're we've got this ability to do all these things that we didn't think were possible before, or at least very hard, and certainly not as effective as we saw here with those 32 minutes and change of the orbital period, and with James W. S. or with James Webb Space Telescope, man. Uh, It's uh, going a little long. I'm starting not to to speak well. (laughs) Uh, It's revealing so much in my mind. And uh, for me, the question of are we alone has only grown stronger in that I believe that there's definitely a chance there's life out there in some form or fashion, possibly even close enough for us to find, but also that to say no to that question means... To me, that you need to have data to back that up. It can't just be an assumption that life does not exist because the new data that we're getting, the new observations that we're getting, are revealing that it's so much more wondrous and, and full of things than we ever thought before. So, uh, I want to know what you're thinking, uh, especially if you're going to challenge that thought. I'd definitely like to hear that. But I'd also like to hear your take on alien life and where you think we might find it. and. Is is that a big question for you? Is are we alone a big existential question for you? Is it one that you want solved? Let us know. Hit us up at todayinspacepodcast at gmail.com, todayinspacepod on Instagram and Twitter, and todayinspace on TikTok. And of course, we've got our Facebook group, Today in Space Podcast. You can hit us up there. Let us know what you think. Uh, hit us up with anything that you'd like us to cover here on the podcast. We're going to have some more folks on for people of science. Where we'll talk about their STEM origin stories, where they got into STEM, how they found their passion for it. And there's some really interesting topics we're going to talk with them about what they're doing. So I'm excited to do that. I've got to schedule those. But uh, there's a lot of really cool stuff going on. The AG3D printing lab is in full gear. We are doing some work to finalize our James Webb Space Telescope model so we can put it up on our Etsy store ag3dprinting.etsy.com just in time for the holidays in case you're looking for one or if you're looking for gifts for your space nerd in your life. So uh, that is all to come, more work to come, but we wish you a great week. Uh, Spread love and spread science. Uh, Be well to others and yourself, and we'll see you in the next episode of Today in Space. Have a good one.